America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It's also a great day down here in uh, another part of North America. I'm broadcasting today with, uh, I think, a little bit more solidarity and security than uh, yesterday when we had <laughs> the interruption of a squawking parrot and other challenges. I think we've got this licked right now thanks to the terrific dedication of rock star Greg Tomlin. He's back home in Seattle. I am broadcasting from Zihuatanejo in uh, Mexico where I am on a uh, family trip with my beautiful wife Diane and our beautiful daughter Shayna and her husband Mark Giuliano and our two little Giuliano kids who are adorable they're eight months old and two years old and they are enjoying the ocean and being at a spectacular place maybe you can even hear the ocean behind me uh, can they can the folks hear the ocean behind me Greg is that is that audible Okay, there it is, waves crashing behind me, not a special effect. Not a special effect either yesterday at the United Nations. This is the one-year anniversary of war in Ukraine. And the United Nations General Assembly overwhelmingly approved a resolution yesterday to call for peace in Ukraine in a vote that marked the anniversary of the full-scale Russian invasion. Now, of course, it's easy for people to say we vote for peace, but the vote had a, a call in it. The resolution demanded that Russia withdraw its forces from Ukrainian territory and called for peace to be restored to the region. It passed with 141 nations voting in favor uh, six countries joining Russia in voting against it, and that, by the way, is quite a rogues gallery, and 32 countries abstaining. The abstaining votes included India and China, and that was actually considered a success for the United States because China did not vote with Russia. India certainly did not vote with Russia. They voted in abstention. What were the six countries that voted together with Russia? I mean, listen to this. North Korea, Syria where they have a certain number of problems all their own, Eritrea, Mali, uh, Nicaragua, and Belarus. Belarus, the only, the only uh, part of the uh, former Soviet Union that uh, is now an independent nation but is very much on Russia's side. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky spoke on the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine, and this is clip five and he rallied his troops and uh, the inspiring style and to which he has become accustomed listen it is you who will decide whether we are all going to exist whether ukraine is going to exist every day every hour it is you ukrainian soldiers which will decide it and uh, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, uh, appeared on CNN. And speaking for the United States, General Austin, who was uh, an authoritative and commanding voice, obviously, spoke about the war ending most likely in negotiations. But they will be negotiations that result in exactly what the UN resolution demanded. Uh, this is clip 5.2. Do you think this ends 
with negotiations or does it end on the battlefield? Most likely it will end with some sort of uh, negotiation. Uh, and what the Ukrainians are, are interested in is getting their getting the Russians out of their sovereign territory. And I think that's probably going to be their going in point, uh, uh, point, but you know, I'll let the Ukrainians speak for themselves. Okay, but the idea being that uh, this, this leaves the remarkable reality that there are people in the United States and people in our political process who still blame America or blame Ukraine for this war when it is so very obvious that there was an invasion, there was an invasion of Ukrainian sovereign territory, there was the death of literally hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, they estimate that the Russians now have lost up to 200,000 people. The Ukrainians have lost 100,000 people uh, by an invasion which was not based upon any Ukrainian provocation. By the way, if you disagree with that, if you believe that Ukraine is to blame for the war or that Joe Biden is to blame for the war or the United States of America is to blame for the war, give us a call, 1-800-955-1776. The president of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, who is German, and she marked the first year anniversary of the war with these remarks. One year of brutal Russian aggression. One year of heroic Ukrainian resistance. One year of European solidarity. Ahead of us is a future of unity. You are fighting for freedom, for democracy, and for your place in the European Union. We are with you for as long as it takes. Slava Ukraini and long live Europe. That's a conclusion with her saying, Slava Ukraine, glory to Ukraine. And certainly, if you think about how few people really knew anything about Ukraine a year ago, and how celebrated that country is now for its heroism and for its determination and will to suffer in order to protect its national honor and its national existence, that's really amazing. And one other thing that, again, people lose track of is no one expected when Russia made this invasion. First of all, it was supposed to be that it would be one week or maybe two weeks at most, and they would succeed in what they said was their goal in the invasion, was the decapitation of the Ukrainian government, which they derided as a group of evil Nazis. And uh, the fact that Ukraine has stood firm and that all of the European Union, all of the NATO countries have rallied behind Ukraine, including very much the United States. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said this about U.S. plans for further aid. This is clip 5.7. Economic assistance is making Ukraine's resistance possible by supporting the home front, funding critical public services, and helping keep the government running. In the coming months, we expect to provide around $10 billion in additional economic support for Ukraine. Putin himself thought he would achieve a victory at minimal cost, in the words of CIA Director Bill Burns. One year later, Putin's war has been a strategic failure for the Kremlin. Ukraine still stands. 
And yes, it does, and it will continue to stand if the resolution of 141 nations in the world voting for that UN resolution have any meaning. We'll also talk about the stunning news in American politics. There are two brand new candidates, both kind of fringy, one a Republican, one a Democrat for the presidential nomination, and a new reports that are very serious in four or five different major publications that maybe Biden won't run after all. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing for Republicans? We'll get to that and more on The Medved Show. And this is the uh, Michael Medved Show broadcasting live today and uh, warm <laughs> from Zihuatanejo, uh, Mexico. And uh, for people to whom that name may sound familiar, that's probably because, like the overwhelming majority of Americans who've seen it, you're a big fan of the film Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, there's a kind of no spoilers here about how they end up in Zihuataneo, but uh, for that film with Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins, this is considered uh, a place to go, no matter how noisy the parrots may be. Uh, and it is a beautiful place, and uh, again, it has actually been uh, one of the eye-opening opportunities of my life to actually travel in Mexico, and not just the border cities, Ciudad Juarez next to El Paso or Tijuana next to San Diego where I was brought up, but uh, to see the variety and the prospects and some of the progress which is very real and very dramatic in our neighbor to the south. Uh, speaking of progress, the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge rose last month at its fastest pace since June. That's not a good thing. It was an alarming sign that price pressures remain entrenched in the U.S. economy and could lead the Fed to keep raising uh, interest rates well into this year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down at one point close to 400 points. It's now down 269 points. Not good news. Also not good news. A Chinese fighter jet confronted a U.S. Navy plane with a CNN crew aboard as tensions simmer in the South China Sea. Fortunately, they didn't treat the Navy plane <laughs> like, like we've treated uh, some of uh, those balloons. Uh, we still haven't identified what exactly we shot down, at least for three of those craft. But the, uh, the idea is the U.S. Navy plane was not flying in Chinese airspace, or the situation might have been much, much more acute. The U.S. Treasury Department uh, today took what it called one of the most significant sanctions actions to date to crack down on those who aid Moscow's war against Ukraine, targeting Russia's metals and mining sector, its financial institutions, its military supply chain, and individuals and companies worldwide that are helping Moscow avoid existing sanctions. Now, 
This leaves open uh, the idea of what will happen if China goes through with its threat to, uh, to actually send weapons of war directly to supply the Russians in their evil invasion. The fact that the Chinese uh, abstained on the UN resolution yesterday is at least somewhat encouraging in terms of what happens there with that situation. But uh, we will talk about what is exactly meant by red lines. Secretary Austin and President Biden and others in the administration have said it would be a red line if uh, China sends weapons to Russia. Uh, does that mean war? What does red line mean anymore? Uh, that becomes a question uh, in light of what happened with Barack Obama, uh, the uh, predecessor to President Trump who uh, declared that there would be red lines in Syria if they used chemical weapons. Well, they did, and there weren't. There were virtually no consequences. The uh, statement by Secretary Antony Blinken, uh, he told CBS News, the concern that we have now is based on information that we have that they are considering providing lethal support to Russia. And we made very clear to them that this would be a serious problem for us in our relationship. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, went further on CNN saying Chinese military aid would be a red line. The use of red line, writes the Wall Street Journal in an editorial, as a diplomatic ultimatum has a degraded reputation. After President Obama declared one to deter chemical weapons attacks in Syria, but then failed to enforce uh, when uh, those weapons were used. Is the Biden administration more serious about enforcement now, and what would that mean? The concern is heightened after what appears to have been a contentious meeting between Mr. Blinken, the Secretary of State, and China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference over the weekend. The U.S. pursued China for the meeting, hoping to reset relations after the sky balloon episode. Mr. Wang finally granted the meeting, but China boasted in a public relations readout afterward that the U.S. had sought the bilateral session. The implication of the U.S. as supplicant was clear. Mr. Blinken said afterward that China had offered no apology for sending the balloon over U.S. airspace and military sites. Uh, Mr. Wang also blamed the U.S. for being an obstacle to peace in the Ukraine, uh, Mr. Wang was heading to Moscow after Munich, even as Mr. Biden was going to Kiev. Uh, to put it more bluntly, arming Russia would be a new and explicit demonstration of China's hostile intentions toward the U.S. and the West. It would certainly erase Beijing's seeming desire since the Biden meeting with President Xi Jinping in Bali late last year to put U.S.-China relations on a better course. It would also require a firm U.S. response which would have to include uh, further economic decoupling. Now, does that further economic decoupling mean sanctions against China? No, they're not talking about that. But uh, they are talking about perhaps uh, making uh, China and the U.S. less dependent on one another. Mr. Xi and his war hawks may be willing to take the risk if they want to prevent a Russian defeat in Ukraine, writes the journal. China may want to bleed the West for its weapons and see if Russia can outlast political support in Washington and European capitals for Ukraine. This would be foolish and bad for China and the world. 
But the possibility is one more urgent reason for members of both parties in Congress to get serious about rebuilding U.S. defenses. And that means in the midst of this um, threat of default, the uh, tremendous increase in U.S. deficit spending and in the United States debt, the one thing we cannot afford to do, and the journal has laid it down very clearly, is at a time of great danger, a time when, by the way, political commentators of every perspective, left, right, and center, have said that this may be one of those exceptions, this upcoming election in 2024, in which uh, generally in elections the economy is always the biggest uh, issue. But in this issue, in the uh, federal elections, there may be um, more emphasis on foreign policy. And uh, certainly given the dangers of uh, the relationship with China and the threat to Taiwan, and the dangers of North Korea and Iran and its development of nuclear weapons and threats to use those nuclear weapons and the ongoing problem of Russia and Ukraine. It's been one year. Uh, it will be another more than a year before we actually get to the elections. If the war in Ukraine is still going on at that point and has not been settled successfully, and successfully means that Ukraine continues to exist and have control of its own territory, then uh, it would be hard to imagine that that is not a major, major issue in the upcoming election. Speaking of uh, major issues in the upcoming election, uh, there are two new candidates for president. And on the Michael Medved show, this is something I never expected to do. Uh, not from Zihuatanejo, Mexico, or <laughs> back home in Seattle, or anywhere else, uh, is to help welcome a new Republican candidate to the field that, honest to goodness, I've never heard of. And I, I do try to keep very close track of politics, but Vivek Ramaswamy, who, yes, of course, he's American-born. He would have to be to run uh, with eligibility for president, and he's running for the Republican nomination. He is 37 years old. He apparently is a very brilliant guy. He certainly speaks very well. He uh, is the founder of Strive Asset Management, and he had a, a full editorial about why he's running for president in the Wall Street Journal. And he appeared uh, on the Tucker Carlson show. And uh, this was his announcement, clip 11. We are in the middle of this national identity crisis, Tucker, where we have celebrated our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways we're really just the same as Americans bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. And that's why I'm proud to say tonight that I'm running for United States president to revive those ideals in this country, those basic rules of the road, meritocracy, the idea that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character, the idea that you are allowed to speak freely, yes, to be wrong sometimes, as long as your neighbor gets the same courtesy in return, the idea that the people who we elect to run the government, by the way, are the people who actually run the government. Basic rules of the road, these are the things that bind us together. You and I have different shades of melanin, you know what I say? So what? That's not beautiful, that is not our strength. Our diversity is meaningless if there's nothing greater that binds us together across that diversity. 
And the reason that I'm running for president is to revive those ideals. And I believe deep in my bones they still exist, that most Americans still believe in them. But we need to rediscover that. And the only way we can do it is by start to talking openly, start talking openly again. And that's uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. He actually becomes the second uh, Indian American uh, candidate for president of the United States, uh, joining uh, Nikki Haley, who, given the fact that she has uh, a considerable political record, she was a very successful leading member of the legislature in South Carolina before she served two terms as governor and then served as our UN ambassador. She would have been terrific to hear, by the way on the resolution uh, condemning the Russian invasion in Ukraine. That would have been a, a real opportunity for former Ambassador Haley. But uh, does uh, Vivek Ramaswamy count as a serious candidate for president? Well, again, he's, he's maybe trying to occupy the same spot in the Republican universe and in the Republican competition that Andrew Yang uh, absorbed for the Democrats last time. And I'm not putting them together simply because they are two Asian candidates. And yes, South Asians, Indians count as Asian candidates according to the U.S. government the way they enumerate people. But also because uh, they are both people with considerable success in the private sector, uh, undeniable brilliance, and uh, trying to move America back a little bit to sanity. I, I don't know what has happened, by the way, with uh, Andrew Yang's forward party. He was going to be running, I think, believe it was going to be him. He had been organizing this third party, the forward party, to uh, give an alternative, as if the Democrats and Republicans don't offer enough alternatives. The alternative in the Democratic side, who has gone forward and fulfilled what uh, she had basically threatened to do for a long time and announced a second campaign for president is Marianne Williamson, the spiritual guru who certainly had the most unusual uh, campaign and, and played a, a fairly prominent role in the Democratic debates, which you may remember. She was like, she was running for a different office. She was running for uh, not for Pope, uh, but running for a, a spiritual leadership position rather than a political leadership position. This was the way she sounded last time. Uh, and believe it or not, it's not, not long ago. It's about three years ago at the uh, Democratic Convention in uh, the crucial primary state of New Hampshire. Listen. And so we need to remember that our job is to say to any forces that would only trickle down just a little bit of the abundance that should belong to every American citizen, just a little bit of the freedom that belongs to, should belong to every American citizen, just a little bit of the right to pursue happiness that belongs to every American citizen, we have to remember that it's our job to say to them, no, 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 you give me free health care, you give me a good education, and give me a fair shot. I'll create my own damn career. Uh, all, all right. Um, in, inspiring words from uh, Marianne Williamson. Uh, will she take any uh, votes away from any other candidates? I mean, no, 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 possible? no. <laughs> I think that's the right answer. 
but uh, is it possible that Vivek Ramaswamy will take some votes from Nikki Haley? I, I su suspected in the Asian, uh, in the Indian community, which has been a remarkably successful and important addition to American life, particularly recently, uh, there may be some voters who would otherwise go to Nikki Haley, whose background is Sikh Indian. Uh, that uh, that there are some voters who would otherwise go to Nikki, who would go now to Vivek. But uh, in terms of Marianne Williamson, hard to imagine who she would be taking from. And part of the reason for that is because right now it uh, does not look like there would be much of a primary fight uh, among the Democrats. I mean, Joe Biden. It, despite the fact that there are so many different polls that show that the majority of people in the Democratic Party don't want him to run again. The majority of people in the country don't want him to run again. So why is it that no one has really even emerged? There's not only not a Nikki Haley or a Vivek Ramaswamy who actually announced candidacies, but uh, basically, in terms of a serious contender for uh, against Donald Trump, the most serious contender, of course, remains to be Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. But why has there been no one even like that on Joe Biden's account? And, and the truth of the matter is that with all of the spin and all of the whispers and all of the questions that are coming up right about now concerning uh, Biden actually not running for re-election. He would, after all, at the end of his second term, if he won a second term, he'd be 86 years old. And this is older than anybody else by far. Now, now Trump will be 78 when he is running for president this uh, third time. But between 78 and 86, and well, Trump and Trump would be what? He would be 78. He'd be uh, 82 when uh, his term ends, his new term ends. In other words, there's a four-year difference in age. But the uh, the truth of the matter is that there's something else that is, I think, preventing other Democrats from stepping forward, which is uh, they would prefer, of course to have Biden run and to basically be crowned in wherever they hold their convention. They haven't decided yet. It'll probably be either New York or Atlanta. And uh, Republicans are going to be in Milwaukee, and they've already announced they're going to have the first debate in Milwaukee coming up in August. But the point being that there are a lot of people who are saying that Democrats very naturally prefer a, uh, an incumbent as old as he may be, as controversial as he may be, but somebody who can unite the party without the sniping back and forth. Uh, by the way, Elizabeth Warren is not running again. She's running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. Amy Klobuchar is not running again. She has announced that she is going to be seeking re-election to the U.S. Senate. And uh, Pete Buttigieg, I think, has had a very tough, tough couple of weeks. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. 
You remember the name of the town, don't you? Zewatanejo. Yes, Zewatanejo. That's uh, Morgan Freeman pronouncing the name of the town, which becomes something of a fixation in the movie Shawshank Redemption. A lot of people list the Shawshank Redemption as their favorite or one of their favorite films of all time. I admired the film or much about the film, but I wasn't wildly enthusiastic about it like others. However, now that I am broadcasting today, uh, so far with few or no parrot interruptions, uh, I am uh, certainly um, more fond and uh, more impressed, maybe even enchanted by Zewatanejo. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of uh, being enchanted, uh, there is a piece in the Wall Street Journal. No, actually, it's an Associated Press. Pardon me. It's uh, a piece under the headline, Biden's precarious strategy depends on... Well, what do you think it depends on? You might say it depends on winning the war in Ukraine. It depends on the economy turning around and inflation not being so bad maybe crime beginning to get under control uh no it says biden's precarious strategy depends on trump uh they write that uh it's will weissert at the wall Street, at associated press who who writes that though the gop primary race is only just beginning a general election pitting Biden against any other Republican could look very different from one against Donald Trump, with Democrats perhaps seeing enthusiasm to stop Trump at all costs evaporate. Biden's continually low approval ratings and polling showing that many Americans, even a majority of Democrats, don't want him to seek a term that won't end until he's age 86 may also begin taking a bigger toll. I believe that both for Biden and for Trump, going up against a new nominee would be more challenging than facing each other, said Julian Castro, who is a former Obama administration housing chief who ran against Biden in the 2020 Democratic primary. But who didn't? I mean, Marianne Williamson did too. Uh, beyond Haley, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis could be a leading Trump alternative. More moderate challengers, such as former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, may soon emerge. This is on the Republican side. Trump's Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will likely run. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott plans to visit Iowa. He just gave a wonderful speech at the library at Drake University. And again, speech deserves more attention. They all do plan to visit uh, Iowa. Nikki Haley is coming back into Iowa early in March. Uh, all offer younger alternatives to both Biden and the 76-year-old Trump and can promise fresher approaches to Washington, a point Haley made explicitly in her campaign kickoff. But so many choices could split the anti-Trump vote, perhaps allowing the former president to prevail in a fractured primary field. The, the one aspect of all of this is that the one big advantage that they seemed to be counting on the Democrats, as they say Biden's precarious strategy depends on Trump, is that Trump will not have a coronation. Uh, there will not be a, basically a surrender of uh, all the potential people running against him. 
There simply are too many people in the Republican Party who are determined uh, that uh, the Republicans need a different uh, nominee. And that Trump, having lost the popular vote in 2016, having lost uh, some 43 congressional seats in 2018, having lost those two runoff races to give Democrats a tie in the Senate uh, back in 2017, and, and then having lost uh, the control of the U.S. Senate and barely won a House majority, which is now down to four seats because the Democrats filled a Democratic seat with another Democrat. In any event, Trump's record has not been uh, one of spectacular political success. In fact, there is uh, another piece, and uh, this one in the New York Times, about Trump's political action committee spent $10 million on his legal fees. It may have to stop. Former President Donald J. Trump, who throughout his business career had a reputation for not paying lawyers, spent roughly $10 million from his political action committee on his own legal fees last year, federal election official filing show. The uh, money that went to Mr. Trump's legal bills was part of more than $16 million that Mr. Trump's PAC, Save America, spent for legal-related payments in 2021 and 2022. This, of course, long after he had left the presidency. The uh, filings show that some of the $16 million appears to have been for lawyers representing witnesses in investigations related to Mr. Trump's efforts to cling to power. But the majority of it, about $10 million, went to firms directly representing Mr. Trump in a string of investigations and lawsuits, including some related to his company, the filing showed. Mr. Trump was well-known in New York City before winning the presidency in 2016 for refusing to pay his bills to a wide range of service providers and contractors. Lawyers were no exception, with Mr. Trump often saying, people got free advertising by being involved with him. The uh, recent spending related to Mr. Trump is notable not just for the sheer volume, it represented about 19% of his PAC's total expenditures outside of transfers to one of his other political committees and those backing other candidates, but also became uh, because Mr. Trump for now is a declared candidate for president again. And here's the difference. He cannot uh, use money that is being raised now to pay his legal bills, according to most experts. That would be a clear violation of the law. Why? Because what people contribute to a political action committee is uh, limited by law, but uh, is, is not limited as, as strictly and specifically as, well, I, I mean, I guess as long as he can keep on his feet, he's stable, right? That's the idea. He's no... John Fetterman, well, not yet. Forget the uh, Wilmington basement. This time, he will have a rose garden and Air Force One and a big white mansion and all that other advantages, all those other advantages of incumbency in a year when he is not forced by a pandemic to stick to streaming from downstairs. Uh, whether or not he ultimately faces Donald J. Trump again or another 
Republican trying to be like Mr. Trump, the president plans a campaign message that will boil down to three words, competent beats crazy. But whether he can sell that uh, again represents a singular challenge given surveys showing that the public has not exactly rallied behind him and harbors deep doubts about his age. The, the point about all of this is that right now, uh, without any Democratic alternative rising against uh, President Biden, we're, we're talking about literally the Republican first debate. And it would be very surprising if there's no Democratic first debate. But right now, there's no Democratic candidate of any substance at all who is actually taking on or trying to challenge Joe Biden. That doesn't stop commentators on Fox News and elsewhere saying from Joe Biden will surely run again. Uh, run again and lose? We will talk about those prospects. There's also released footage of a suspected mass shooter being arrested in a clip that has gone viral. We will play you what that sounds like. And all kinds of questions about lies, blatant lies, attacking Ron DeSantis. So what happens with those lies? We will get to that and much more coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.